Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible self-help writer and speaker, Scott Stabile. Hello, Scott, and welcome to the show. Hello, Zach. Today, happy we're... to be here. <laughs> I'm happy you're here too. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about big love. And for those that don't know, Scott Stabile is an inspirational self-help writer and speaker. He calls himself a spiritual voice for personal development in a modern world and has amassed a sizable following on social media with his inspirational and provocative quotes, essays, and videos. Much of his work was compiled in his 2015 hard cover art book entitled Just Love, which is an homage to the way love serves each of us in wholly wonderful ways. And he is the recent author of Big Love, The Power of Living with a Wide Open Heart, and the topic of today's show, where he writes about how he went from a challenging early life to committing himself fully to love. How are you today, Scott? I'm great. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm well, and I'm super excited. And I really appreciate you coming on to the show. And I was just so happy to discover you and discover the amazing work that you are doing in the world. And you call yourself a love activist, which is a term I absolutely love. And I love this idea. I think we need millions of love activists out in the world. But I'm also a little curious what that means. What does a love activist do day to day? You know, just being a bit <laughs> facetious, but how do you earn a living in this world? <laughs> so I, I should say that a friend called me a love activist, uh, and I really embraced that term for myself. So for me, what it, it just means like I'm committed to making noise for the power of love in our lives and in our world. So that's what it means. How do I, how do I earn a living? Sometimes better, sometimes that earning is better than others, but I give, <laughs> you know, pre-pandemic, I was giving a lot of workshops, in-person workshops um, around the themes that I am most passionate about, like self-love and facing our fears and overcoming shame, connecting to our authenticity, all those types of things. So I'm doing that again, doing it in an online way and speaking some, but most of the work that I was doing stopped with the pandemic and it's, you know, I'm, just, I'm coming back online with it more now and we'll be doing a, an in-person, I'll be at a retreat center next month doing an in-person weekend thing, which is exciting to be with people in the real world again. Um, but yeah, lately it's been the online thing. And I have a Substack newsletter, which is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Substack. It's an online platform for writers and it's a reader supported newsletter. So it's a free newsletter to people, but people can also get paid subscriptions if they want to support my work that way, which is another great way to, you know, support writers you love or whatever. That's so wonderful. And I'm curious to ask you more about your experience on workshops and on kind of teaching people how to love more and kind of what challenges you've had. For example, I often do workshops around love and an interesting phenomenon I've found around self-love is every event, you know, you have people that register and then people that come, right? And some people miss out because something comes up, right? The biggest ratio I've had for like most people missing out is on self-love. Like, you know, people on their work, you know, laptop, they sign up. And then when the time comes, they're like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be in a group of people and share the struggles that I've had around self-love. So I'm kind of curious, you know, when you do work with people, what are some common challenges that you encounter and as you probably found, it's hard being a love activist. Some Marvel movie can get $3 billion and you might struggle to get 12 people to show up to a workshop. So tell us more about your experience and you know what struggles you find people go through. Yeah, I think that um, so much of it comes down to how we're conditioned in my experience, how we're conditioned from a young age and we're not really taught to love ourselves. Not really. In fact, we're taught in, in so many different ways, not to love ourselves. We're taught that it's selfish 
to give energy to self-love. It's, um, it's cocky, quit bragging, quit, you know, we're, we're given so many messages that to align with the energy of love in terms of how we see ourselves is not an okay thing to do. So from the, and, and I think around workshops, I, I have the experience too of people, there'll be people who sign up and don't come when I've had the experience of many people tell me they almost didn't come, like they signed up and they ended up showing up, but they weren't going to come. And for me, it's, that's all fear. It's all fear. It's like, again, we're not, we're not trained. We're not educated on how to be with ourselves, I think, in a really healthy and loving way. And we're also not educated on how to be with the discomforts of being human in a healthy and productive way. So so the conditioning we experience is really around escaping. If you're feeling any emotion other than happiness or optimism or joy, there's something wrong and you need to run. So we're all addicted to one thing or another that takes us out of being with what feels real for us and what feels honest for us. If that is something that's uncomfortable, sadness is uncomfortable, anger is uncomfortable. There's a whole host of emotions that don't necessarily feel good, but aren't any less than other emotions. And yet to avoid feeling them, we, we drink ourselves, we drug ourselves, we overeat, we overshop, we're on our phones constantly. And I feel like if we could just really come to understand that our emotions can be a guide and be of service to us, they're not necessarily something that we have to fear, but we can only learn that if we allow ourselves to be present with the, the, the uncomfortable emotions too, present with the discomfort. I, I think so much of it is how how we're raised and what we learn and and what we don't learn in terms of our relationship to self growth and healing and love. And everything I said about self love just translate it to how we love others. We're not really we're not we don't really learn to love others in an unconditional way. We learn to love others with expectation and with conditions. We put people we put each other in boxes, and as soon as we fall outside the bounds of those boxes we judge each other <laughs> relentlessly, right? Mm -hmm. And we do the same with ourselves over and over and over again. And I think if we look at the world we're living in, it's a, can you swear on this show or no? Do you prefer <laughs> yeah. I don't? You can. <laughs> it's a shit we're adults show. Here. I mean, we, yeah, it's just a shit show of people judging themselves and judging each other and condemning and dehumanizing. And for me, what I understand more than anything else well, not maybe not more than anything else, but as much as anything else, is that I have power only over how I'm choosing to show up. I don't have power over how others receive how I'm choosing to show up. I don't have power over how others show up. I have, I can be the example that I want to see in the world, and that's all, right? So I believe in the power of love beyond anything else, period. I don't think there's anything that creates more healing in our world than love. And I think if we're, if we're all honest with ourselves, we, we know that what we all want more than anything is to be seen and loved and to give love to others. It's what we're all desperate for. We're so hungry for it. And yet we're all just creating one justification after the next to not love ourselves and other people. I'll let you get a breath in now. What do you have to say, Zach? <laughs> No, <laughs> no, I can listen to you all day because I wholeheartedly agree and resonate with everything it is that you're saying. And that's a huge impetus behind this podcast too. As you mentioned, we're not trained or educated to be with ourselves in a healthy and loving way. And I love your emphasis and how you said that emotions can be a guide and be of service to us. And I also believe we are in a judgment epidemic. Like we spend our entire life judging everything that we encounter in our life. And I also feel like you very much kind of walk this walk when you mention how, you know, the only thing we have control over is how we show up. And I feel like this teaching that you're giving right now is also a reflection of the path that you've also gone through in your own life. You know, I've watched your videos and you have an incredible lightness and a joy to your presence and you are spreading this message of big love. And it can, you know, when you talk about love is the best thing on the planet, it can be easy to get the impression that everything is perfect with love. But in reality, your past was nothing but perfect. Many of our listeners don't know that you grew up around a lot of addiction, dysfunction and tragedy, including this heartbreaking story that your parents were murdered when you were only 14 years old and your brother overdosed in heroin just nine years later. 
And in your writings, you're also very vulnerable about your own struggles with internalized homophobia around being gay. So tapping into this idea that love is not all sunshine and rainbows, but we are dealing with the entirety of our human experience. What's the big secret there, Scott? I'm so amazed at how do you remain so loving and big love and heart open despite life's incredible challenges, including the ones that you yourself have gone through in your life? It's love. <laughs> love <laughs> is the answer. I've, I've been asked versions of this question, and I don't know if I've ever given this, this answer, maybe, but it's like, it's impossible for me to say that I wouldn't have arrived as a love activist had I not gone through hardship because I've gone through what I've gone through. I've lived the life I've lived. But I know that we can come to these same realizations from a host of different life journeys. And for me, it was understanding in my early 20s that really coming to see like when I am centered in love, everything about my life feels better. So love was the answer. Like surviving what I survived, we all survive our traumas. We all, we all survive them however we survive them. When I reflect back on you know, being a teenager and losing my parents to murder, I don't, I wasn't doing anything consciously. There was nothing that was happening for me that was like, this is how I'm going to get through this horrifying trauma. I just buried it. I just locked it away. And, and that even wasn't a conscious choice. It was what I did. And it served me because I was able to function through high school and through college and, and do okay and have a good cry once a year. And then in my early twenties, I started to recognize like, Hey, you know, you did what you had to do to get you to this point in terms of processing your parents' murder. But this is me talking to myself, but now it's time to be with some of the pain around it in a different way and really hold space to grieve this and to be angry and to be sad in a much bigger way than you've allowed yourself to be to this point. I felt like I could hold more of the grief when I was in my early 20s than I could when I was in my teens. But that was happening at the same time that I was coming into my sexuality in a more okay way, like starting to come out. I had moved to San Francisco. And, and what I kept coming back to was let love be your guiding force in your life as often as possible and as deeply as possible. And with that as your guiding force, everything else will, will work out. And I say that is like, I'm not, first of all, I'm not always loving. I'm an asshole sometimes. And I'm whatever <laughs> what? else I am. Do you know what I mean? I'm whatever else we all are. And when I'm, one of the things I'm good at in my life is bringing awareness to how I'm feeling and looking at like what's going around, what, what's going on in my mind. What am I thinking about that's creating those feelings? What circumstances am I creating for myself? And when I, when I bring awareness to it, every single time I'm rooted in love, I feel more aligned. I feel more aligned with source energy, God, whatever word you want to put around that. I feel more aligned with nature. I feel more aligned with this sense of um, belonging, this sense of feeling at home in my skin. It's, it's always rooted in love. And when I say love, I see love as the umbrella. It contains compassion, empathy, kindness, forgiveness. Like those are all manifestations of love in our world. And when I talk about love, I think it can, you know, through the lens of some people, it, it feels very woo-woo. It feels very in the clouds, which is how you phrase this question to begin with, essentially, which is like, he, this guy's not just talking about love because everything works out in his life. He's had some pain and trauma, you know, and it's, I feel very grounded in my, my understanding of love. I I, I feel like because I'm not willing to deny what love provides for us. And again, to be clear to those listening, when I'm speaking about love, I'm just talking about an energy. I'm talking about the energy of love that is everywhere. It's within us. It's outside of us. And so for me, knowing that this energy is universal, the choice becomes how often do I want to connect with that energy and let that connection inform the choices I make in my life. And by bringing awareness, I see every time I do that, I'm serving myself. And I believe serving our world because that's all that love does. There's no downside. It's ever expansive, it's ever abundant, it's feeding, it's serving, it's nourishing, it's creating, it's healing. Like these things are so painfully obvious to like, I don't, and I know they are to you too, which is why I can feel exas exasperated with you because it's like, 
what the hell are you all seeing out there? We all know this to be true. So let's just give our energy over to this energy and see what gets created from that place. That's how I feel, Zach. <laughs> well, I love how you feel. And I do want to get more into it because you did mention it's like painfully obvious to you. But I think for perhaps most people and most listeners, it's it's not. And just repeating a lot of things that you said, I loved how you mentioned how when you're centered in love, everything becomes better and how important it is to let love be a guiding force in our lives. And even in your book, you write, love makes life better, love heals, love makes the most difference in every area that matters. And I'm imagining that listener who's like, that's a love, bunch of lovely platitudes, kind of find this guy notion but, you know, I too often, I might tell somebody, oh, I work in the field of love. And then they're like, oh, I don't have any love in my life. I'm single. And I think about how for most people, love is like one thing that you experience romantically with somebody, like maybe some of the time. So I'm curious more about what it looks like kind of on the ground level, what it feels like on the ground level um, to align ourselves with this, with this big love. When you talk about it being an energy, is this something that you discover like through meditation, through action? How do we discover, cultivate and feel this more expansive, energetic, abundant feeling of love? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, you know what I, what I feel called to say right now to that? I would say to, to everyone listening, Think about someone in your life that you truly love, that you adore. When you think about them, when you're with them, your heart feels expansive. You want good for them, whether it's a child, a lover, a family member, a friend. You know, you, there's no question that the energy you're feeling, the energy you're in alignment with is this loving energy, right? So all of us are able to do that. When I say it's painfully obvious, this is really what I'm referring to. I don't, I don't mean to be flippant about it as much as, as we all know what it feels like to love another human being I, or a pet. I feel confident we all know what that feeling is like. What I've come to learn is that that feeling is not, is not, does not have to be fleeting because all we're doing in those moments is tapping into an energy that exists all the time. And we are, because of how this person or this experience is affecting us, it's much easier to connect to that energy because it's the, it's the, the most resonant energy we have to work with. Like as a counter example, let's say you post something on social media and someone's like, you're an asshole. I don't agree with you, whatever, whatever, whatever. And where we naturally go there is to this place of anger, this like, screw you, kind of like our mind comes into play. I, I want to talk about the mind and the heart to those that those different energy centers. So the fact that someone calls you an asshole on social media and you're inclined to type back to them all these nasty things does not mean that the energy of love is not available to you. All it means in that moment is you're making a different choice, that we're allowing ourselves to be directed by the fears and insecurities and reactionary nature of our ego minds, right? So for me, love is an energy that, that is everywhere, but when we are centered in it, we're coming from our hearts in a more clear way. We're coming from this understanding that it is possible, should we choose to, to offer in response to anything love, should we choose to. So what I've learned after having, look, and to be honest, if someone says something nasty to me on social media, the first place I go is like, screw you, blah, 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 blah. This is what my initial thoughts are, right? Because we're reactionary beings, we're humans, it's natural. But, but if I were to respond from that place, if I were to type back while I'm still in my ego, while I'm still in my anger or my judgment or whatever else is going on for me, what I understand or believe is that I'm not serving anything in that response. All I'm doing is adding more vitriol to vitriol, hatred to hatred, judgment to judgment. So if I give myself a little bit of time and if I look at, if I take ownership, why am I reacting in this way? What within me has been triggered by this person? 
if I can own my response, then I'm empowered to show up differently in that moment. Does that make sense? It's like, if I can sit with my rage and let it diffuse and, and let myself come back to this energy of loving kindness of other human beings, if I can recognize this is not just a nasty comment on the other side of this thing that I can respond to. There's an actual human being who is showing up from a vantage point of having lived whatever life they've lived and having endured whatever experiences they've endured and having gone through whatever's happening in their day in this moment to get to a place of typing whatever it is they type to me, suddenly I automatically connect to more compassion. It's like, oh, I get it. I've had bad days. I've had a hard life in many ways. I've locked myself into um, aspects of my experience that have prevented me from showing up with a more expansive and loving, you know, ideas. And, and I can then, if I choose to respond, at least recognize their humanity in my response, even if I don't agree at all with what they're saying, right? And this is, this is why I think, I do believe that most of us if we reflect on love and our desire for more love and our desire to give love, we, we come to understand that the barriers to that reality is usually that we don't want to do the work. We don't want to look at our own bullshit that is preventing us from being kind and loving and keeping us steeped in judgment and self-righteousness and blame. We don't want to look at how we are responsible for how we're showing up in these interactions and in this world, because only when we, when we take an honest assessment of our place and whatever's going on, are we able to transcend how we're showing up if how we're showing up is with hatred you know, and condemnation and dehumanization. So I, I see this, I see spiritual growth as work. I see love as work, but only because hatred and judgment is so often easier. It doesn't, it doesn't mandate responsibility. It just mandates blame and pointing fingers. And it's always easier to judge other people than to look at how, what your responsibility is in the, in the place of the story. I have so many follow-up questions. I went on debating about where to take it. And going a little bit back to what you mentioned at the beginning, you mentioned that we all know what it feels like to love another human being and that that feeling does not have to be fleeting because we are simply tapping into an energy that is there all the time. And I was almost thinking about this metaphor that I've heard used to describe love is that falling in love with like one person is often described as the parting of the clouds. And when the clouds part, of course, the sun comes in, right? And we attribute like this person to the light that's coming in rather than the light has always been there. And it's just now had an opportunity to come into our life. And I'm wondering if you have any other sort of metaphors, analogies, or even visualizations around, around what love kind of, what the experience of love is in our lives or what the experience of big love is in our lives. Because again, when we hear like this, it's this energy, it's like, what energy are we talking about? <laughs> okay. Well, look at it this way. You, let's say you walk into a room and something doesn't feel right in that room with the people who are there. We've all had the experience of walking into a place and immediately being like, oh, I don't like the vibe in here. That, that, that might be the language we use. What are we feeling? We're feeling the energy of that room. We're feeling the energy of the dynamics of the people in that room. That's all energy is every, everything is energy. Every single thing, our thoughts, our energy. I mean, every scientist and every woo-woo person on the planet finally <laughs> agrees on this. Like everything's energy. So your thoughts carry an energy signature. Your words carry an energy signature. Your actions carry an energy signature. Everything in nature has energy. So we're, we're just really opening ourselves up to the experience of what's happening before us. Like I, okay, like Zach, you and I just met, right? Mm -hmm. Literally like 20 minutes ago or whatever. I'm looking at you through Zoom. We're talking, we're chatting. I can honestly say to you, I feel genuine love for you. Like I feel, I feel you, I feel your energy. I feel what you're doing in the world. I, my heart is open to the experience of feeling you through a computer screen in this moment, not because, and your it wasn't that your energy was hidden behind clouds. When we started your energy was, <laughs> your energy was what it was. And the truth is, 
as beautiful as you are, the fact that I feel love for you has, has nothing to do with you. It has to do with my willingness to open myself up to loving you because you could be an asshole, annoying <laughs> monster person. Do you know what I'm and, and if I'm still so connected to what's possible for me as a loving human being, I could feel love for that version of you as well. Right now you're, you're, you've twice now kind of referenced falling in love. So I kind of feel like you want to talk about love from the romantic angle as well. Well, What's actually kind of coming up for me when you mentioned like you could be a bad monster person and I would still love that part of part of you is that is something that comes up, for example, when we do talk about unconditional love or this idea of loving everyone is the normal objection is like, well, what about the bad people? Right. Like love everyone. Great. What about my really annoying coworker? Like, <laughs> and, right. But also like, yeah, you know, what about, what about the people that do bad things? You know, let's say I'm in an abusive relationship. Am I supposed to just love this person and this person that's abusing me? So I think a lot of people, you know, they want a big love. They want a bigger love. They even might want unconditional love and they experience a certain level of resistance. Well, you know, what about people that do bad things? What about people that cause me pain and suffering? Or what about people that cause other people pain and suffering? Yeah, it's great. And it is a, it's a question that comes up a lot in my workshops and in the work that I do. So first, what I would say to that is, I think sometimes we confuse our capacity for love with whether or not we should stay in certain circumstances as though to love someone means I need to stay in an abusive relationship. And that's absolutely not the case. Like it is entirely possible to love people from afar and preferable to do that. If you're in a relationship that is abusive, that is disrespectful, that, or is just not a relationship you want to be in that feels unhealthy to you. I'm, I first and foremost, I'm about self-love, which for me includes taking care of myself, making choices for myself that feel healthy, participating in relationships that feel good for me. And what I would say to loving, quote unquote, bad people, if, if you want to title them that way, is I don't, when I'm in my heart, the, the command is you love people no matter what. There's no exception. There's no justification for not loving. Like my heart is very clear. Love has no conditions. When we talk about unconditional love, even that is it's redundant because if it's conditional, it isn't love anymore. In my understanding of love, love doesn't operate with conditions. So what I know for myself is that I feel best when I am loving, which is why I am so committed to love. It's very selfish. If it felt good to hate people, if it felt good to constantly be living in this condemnation of others, I would be doing that more often. It doesn't feel good. So to anyone who is pushing back, like think of your least favorite politician that is doing, in your opinion, terrible things in our world, I would ask you two questions. How is it serving you to hate that person? How could it be hurting you to love that person, isn't it possible that you can still be clear about your convictions? You can still stand up for whatever causes. You can be an activist. You can do every single thing that you're doing. You can fight for whatever it is you call, you're called to fight for and still come from a place of love towards people. It doesn't take away. And by doing so, not only are you serving your activism, because if the base note of anything is love, there is a much better chance, in my opinion, to create dialogue, connection, healing, whatever. Like there's got to be an element of love at some point, or we just continue to replay the same patterns with different leaders and different ideologies, you know, in my experience of witnessing what's happening in the world. So, so what is, what is the downside of loving that that's what I, what is the downside of loving? Show me one downside. How to say it. I don't believe that people are staying in unhealthy relationships typically because of love. I think they're staying in unhealthy relationships because of fear. I think they're staying in unhealthy relationships because of insecurity. It's not the love that's keeping people there because you can walk away and still give love to the person from afar, from a distance. I just don't see a downside to, to love. 
Can you can present me with one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm willing to I discuss can play. it. Like, what is the downside? Yeah, I'll play. I'll play devil's advocate real quick because you mentioned, do I want to go into romantic love? I'm like, well, it keeps coming up because I think for a lot of people, the downside is heartbreak, loss. You know, even like you could be in a relationship, you're madly in love, they could dump you and then you're just in a wreck. But perhaps you lose your loved one, right? And then when people experience such pain and such tragedy, they're like, you know, why why did I open my heart so much, right? Sometimes love is described as like handing your heart to somebody and like, you're like, be gentle, <laughs> right? Because oftentimes the people that we love the most uh, end up with the capacity to hurt us the most as well. So people do experience cheating, do experience affairs, do experience experience betrayal in relationships too. So what about well, that? Right. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, that's a trade-off to being human. Like you can choose absolutely if you're going to shut yourself down to the experience of love with another person because you're so afraid of having your heart broken. That's a choice you can make. and And that's a choice people are making based on past experiences. But, you know, for me, for me, we're called to weigh things all through. I'm I'm making this hand gesture that is uh, basically a scale, right? So it's like, I understand that if I give my heart over in the, in, in the, I falling in love sense, and I'm giving myself over to a relationship building and developing, we all understand on some level, whether we've had our heart broken or not, that that's a possibility. But what are the trade-offs? I mean, do you want the, do you want some of the sweetest gifts of being a human being, which is to be in loving relationship with other people? If you, you know, like you have to decide how big you're, you're going to allow your fear to be. And everyone gets to decide that for themselves. For me, there's no question I would rather be in a loving relationship with someone if that's where my heart is taking me and understand that my heart might get broken. And I've had a broken heart. That's part of, that's part of life. And when I'm grieving the loss of someone, not even just in relationship, but the loss of people we love, I think so often our grief is, is happening in relation to how deep our love was for the person, right? The more you love a person, the deeper you tend to grieve them. But that's one of the the beautiful aspects of grieving is understanding, my God, I would never be feeling this way if I hadn't been gifted the experience of some, such deep love for another human being. This is humanity. This is the reality of being human. There's a lot of pain here. That's part of it. We can try to run from it or hide from it, but one, we're not going to be able to because it's everywhere. And two, like, what happens if we just come into a more expansive view of what it's like to be a human being and understand that part of the experience of being human, not just part of the experience of loving, part of the experience of being human is heartbreak and grief, and it will never be easy. And you keep going. The sun keeps rising. The clouds keep parting. And I don't say that from this like, and then everything becomes beautiful place. I say this from, that's just reality. We can resist reality or we can accept reality and move forward, you know, as best we can in alignment with our hearts and open to the the innumerable gifts that get presented to us when we are more deeply aligned with our hearts and our truth and our authenticity and our allowing things to unfold instead of always feeling like we have to force and control. That's what I would say to that. Hmm. (laughs) I love it. And The idea of choice keeps coming up when I'm listening to you around how love is a choice. And when you mentioned being on social media and you see something, you're tempted to react, but you can always pause and listen to the heart and the heart tells you to love everyone. And then you can make that choice to love everyone. Not quite as simply as you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a practice, right? Because I wanted to read another thing that you wrote in your book, Big Love. And you wrote this. You wrote, peace comes in bits and pieces, in intentional habits, in the choices we make that support the belief that we are worthy. And in the moments we decide, no matter what, to take care of ourselves. And then we do. And it brings to mind this idea of practice, this idea of conscious choices that we make on a day-to-day basis around loving ourselves and around loving others. And we always have that opportunity, as hard as it can be sometimes. (laughs) 
so I was, you know, we're recording this right now. It's January. It's like the new year. And I was thinking about love as a practice and how now is the time many people practice New Year's resolutions, which can be aspirational, but also like judgmental when we don't meet them because we set too high expectations. So I'm curious, you know, how do we make that choice more often, more frequently, and to drop out of the the common spell of reactivity that many people find themselves in? Yeah, it, it it's a it is a practice, and it's a practice I've been devoted to for many years now because what you practice at, you become better at, right? So to answer your question on the the most basic level. Start bringing more awareness to your thoughts, words, and actions. So we all have, to some degree, self-abusive minds, incredibly critical minds, fearful minds, insecure minds. If you start bringing awareness to your thoughts, anytime you're aware that your thoughts are locked in some cycle of self-abuse, that they're calling you ugly or stupid or lazy or whatever it is your mind does however many times during a day, the moment you're aware that that's going on is the moment you can make a choice to interrupt that cycle. Now, that doesn't mean that we can always go from a place where our mind has been berating us for however many minutes and suddenly come into this place where you're like, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. Maybe that doesn't feel real, right? But you absolutely can decide in that moment to think about anything else. Think about your kitten. Think about a dog. Think about the trees. Pick up a book. Like The point is interrupt the cycle of self-abuse. That is a conscious choice you can make to love yourself in a moment when you are not. And the more practiced you become at interrupting those cycles, the, the, the shorter those cycles become in your life and the more habitual it becomes for you to naturally go to that, that place of interruption before you've spent 20 minutes or two hours in this pointless, like self-abusive, you're a piece of shit kind of mindset right? That is one way we can love ourselves. What words are we speaking to ourselves? When you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, what are you seeing? A lot of us are seeing, oh, I'm too fat. Oh, I should do this. Oh, I'm too this. There's that whole dialogue going on. Stop it. (laughs) It's not serving you. It's hurting you. Say different things to yourself. Say, get yourself Get yourself into a place of saying something that you can believe about yourself. And if you can't believe anything good about yourself initially, and I promise you that will change the more practice you become at loving yourself. If you can't do that right away, then stop looking at yourself in that moment and think about something else. You know, it, it seems so easy on the one hand to just say, think about something else. And obviously that it's much, it's much, a much more challenging practice, but with practice, it does become easier. What I can say from my experience in my life and why I feel like I can talk so confidently about self-love probably more than anything is that I know how I feel about myself and I love myself more than I've ever loved myself. And I don't, I don't stew in these cycles of self-abusive dialogue. I just don't because I'm, I'm practiced at it. I know it doesn't serve me. I know how, how it feels physically and emotionally depleting. And, and I know it's because I've practiced at it that I'm in a place now where it's so easy for me to love myself, no matter what is happening in my life, whether I'm showing up for myself in a healthy way or an unhealthy way, I'm able to love myself anyway. You mentioned the shame, right? You mentioned how, wait, when did you mention the shame? When, long how, time ago, at, our, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that was so, well, here's why it was fresh in my head. It's because where our minds go so naturally is when we're not making choices for ourselves that feel like they're aligned with self-love that feel like healthy choices, we automatically go to this place of shame and we belittle ourselves. So I'm eating the pint of ice cream and I'm going to, I'm like, I'm eating it and I'm eating it. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to eat the whole thing in one sitting again. And this isn't going to feel good. And you're a, a monster who doesn't know how to take care of your body. Like this is where our mind goes with it. What happens if you just release all of the shame All you're left with is a pint of ice cream, right? We do not have to commit ourselves to shaming and judging ourselves for the choices we're making, even when we understand those choices aren't the healthiest. What happens if we get in the practice? I say this all the time in my the live videos I do. I one of the one of the statements I say to myself more than any other in my life these days is, it's okay, honey, you're human. And I say it to myself when I'm eating the pint of ice cream in one sitting, it's okay, honey, you're human. This is totally okay. You don't have to beat yourself up over this. And I don't say that 
as a means of justifying bad behavior. You just murdered someone. It's okay, honey, you're human. <laughs> it happens. It's not about that. It's about recognizing our humanity in the choices we're making, recognizing that no one is always making the healthiest choices for themselves. And, and if we can release our compulsion to shame ourselves, we clear out so much of the suffering that we create. Because a lot of times, Zach, it's, I, in my experience, it's less about what I'm doing and more about how I'm judging what I'm doing. It's less about the unhealthy choice and more about the shame I'm piling on myself for the unhealthy choice. So, so what I've come to discover is, wow, we can eliminate the shame. We can just decide that I'm not going to give energy to my mind when my mind is shaming me because I don't believe in shame. It's, it's all lies my mind is feeding me when it's suggesting I'm unworthy and, and not enough. These are all lies that we've become addicted to believing. So what happens if we stop believing them? Then we're just left with where we are. Part of the reason we run and escape so much from feeling what we're feeling is because what our mind does on top of what we're feeling, it tells us we shouldn't be feeling it and we're bad for feeling it and we're, we're unevolved for feeling it or we're ugly for feeling it, we're jealous for feeling it. Just get rid of that noise. And that is much easier said than done, of course, but it's possible. It's possible with intention. It's possible with practice. You know, I really encourage, I really encourage anyone listening to, to, as they're practicing at loving themselves, as they're practicing at saying, it's okay, honey, you're human. Practice at becoming a witness to your thoughts instead of becoming the leading character in them. All that noise that's happening in your mind, if you can really understand that that does not define you, it is only a mind doing what minds do. Every mind on the planet does this. Every mind makes noise. Every mind has fear. Every mind has insecurity. What we've gotten in the habit of doing as human beings is we internalize all of it and, and believe that it is us. Whatever my mind is thinking is me. No, it isn't. Whatever my mind is thinking is just what my mind is thinking. How I choose to attach myself to those thoughts is what I become. So I'm, I'm getting more and more practice at just watching it. Like you would watch a TV show and, and don't own it. And again, it's easier said than done, but until we bring energy to the practice of doing it, to the practice of being witness to our thoughts and not becoming them, it is one of the most peace-inducing practices we can create for ourselves because suddenly we really understand, my God, all of this noise in my mind has nothing to do with me. Because who is the person that's aware of your thoughts? Who, who is aware of your thoughts? You are not your thoughts or you couldn't be aware of them. So some aspect of your humanity, your soul, let's say, is aware of your thoughts, which means that you are not your thoughts. So as much as possible, just continue to practice it, not being attached to all that, that business happening there. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. You know, in psychology, we call it anti-rumination strategies, but I like your words much better. I like how you mentioned we want to bring more awareness to our thoughts, words, and actions because the moment we become aware what's going on, that's the moment we can break free of the cycle. I also loved how you mentioned that it's less about what we're doing and more about how we judge what we are doing. And I'm so curious, like as a bit of an aside, I'm just wondering if you do have any spiritual or religious background, which has kind of informed what you're telling us right now. What comes up for me is like the word mindfulness. When you mentioned observing the thoughts, I think about meditation or perhaps contemplation. And I'm curious, do you come from any spiritual or religious practices or traditions, or perhaps have other teachers that have inspired you on your path? Lots of teachers, I would say, have inspired me. I'm not religious. I don't align with any religious tenets, except for the core of all religious tenets, which is love, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the core of everything. So yes, that I align with. I do practice meditation. I am a very, uh, how to say it? I mean, I've practiced meditation on and off for years. It is a, generally a struggle for me. If I meditate for 20 minutes and I get 30 seconds of a quiet mind, I'm grateful. But I also believe deeply in meditation. I also believe deeply in our intentions. So I, I trust that by meditating and, and 
working with the quietness of my mind. I'm putting energy into creating more peace in my life. So there's energy in just the intention of meditation. I'm a big fan of visualization. The workshop I'm giving right now is about visualization um, because I, I'm really into feel. How do we feel? Like if you, your, your feelings are directly related to your thoughts. So if you check in with how you're feeling, you can almost all the time trace them back to what you're thinking about. If you're feeling like crap, there's a really good chance that you're thinking thoughts that are creating that crappy feeling. So, you know, for me, the practice of visualization is about centering myself in how I want to feel, centering myself in the reality that I want to create for myself as though it's existing right now. So I, I as part of visualization practice, I'm really into appreciation and gratitude. That's one of my deepest spiritual practices, like going on gratitude walks, like taking walks and just announcing out loud for however many minutes, like I appreciate so much my life right now. I appreciate my body. I appreciate my feet creating balance and my legs moving me through the world and just getting myself really hyped up and high on appreciation because that's such a, for me, a high vibrational signature. I am not aligned 100% with how I've come to understand the law of attraction, but I'm aligned very deeply with a lot of the law of attraction and the overall idea that energy attracts like energy. And so I understand that when I'm in a really, when I'm really in my gratitude, when I'm really in my appreciation, that, that that's the energy I'm attracting into my life. And I've just seen from paying attention. It's like when I am moving through the world connected to my worth, understanding that I am enough as I am, the connections and possibilities that cr I create in my life are wholly different than when I'm moving through the world, feeling like a piece of shit who has no worthiness to offer anyone in anything. Right. And so when we, again, when we bring, when we bring awareness to these things, we're more empowered to make different choices. Right. And, and I think that's why awareness is so, so key. It's like, if you're experiencing the same patterns over and over and over in your life, and you're not considering what are you doing? How are you showing up in your life that might be creating these patterns? We're doing ourselves a profound disservice because at the core of our existence, it's us. It's the choices we're making, the thoughts we're thinking. And, and we've got to consider those things in terms of how, how powerful we are in, in, the, in terms of how, how the life we can create. That's wonderful. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> well, think, speaking of questions, we are running low in time. So I do have to ask you the final question I love to ask all of my guests. And I do feel like we've already mentioned it, answered it in a, many different ways, but I still have to ask it. And it's quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? Just that it's a game changer. It's the, it's the great healer. It, it is the thing. It is the only thing that creates true healing. We have a lot of change agents on this planet. A lot of things create change. But if we want real healing, there has to be love involved. So I wish people knew that and really understood that. And I wish people really understood how lovable they are. How, you know, like I wish that they understood that we are, we live in a universe of love. We are born of love. We are trained out of it, but it's who we are at our essence. I believe I can't prove that, but I, that's my feeling and my sense. Like when I feel most at home is when I'm, when I'm connecting to love always, always. Wonderful. We can't prove it, but we can feel it and we can help other people to feel it as well. Right. Because Zach, if you think about like all of what I see is probably the most important things in this reality are unprovable, right? Like you can't, like, how do you prove your, if, if you feel connected? I, I feel like my views on God is essentially, I feel source energy, the energy that created everything, the energy that created the trees and the planets and the, the stars and galaxies, that energy is running through all of us. That is a part of who we are. We are a combination humanity and divinity. How do I prove that? How do we prove love? Any, how do you even prove what love is or how it feels? Like none of this can be quantified. And yet we feel it. We know it to be some of the truest things we can know. You know, trust your instincts around that. 
Thank you so much, Scott. Scott Stabile, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And you know, after the show, when we once we edit it, we always pull like a paragraph out to put at the top of the post. And you know, it's going to be really hard to pick just one <laughs> because <laughs> everything you've said has been so inspiring and so beautiful. And I really hope our listeners take so much of your teachings to heart and open up to the big love that is available at all times. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? Find me on Substack. It's scottstabile.substack.com. Find me there. I mean, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook too. <laughs> you can find me everywhere you find anybody. <laughs> and you mentioned it at the beginning, but what is Substack again? It's an online newsletter platform. So mostly for writers, it's just another way to, but it's, it's where I'm putting a lot of my energy now and everything on sub 95% of what's on Substack is only on Substack. So you can't find it on my social media channels and stuff. And I'm doing audio meditations there and essays and video teachings and stuff. It's, it's new. So I'm giving energy to it. I like it there. Yeah. And it's, it's just wonderful for content creators like you to be supported by people who enjoy what, what you are putting out into the world. So I, encourage, <laughs> <laughs> so I encourage all our listeners to check out Big Love, your new book. Check out Substack to look at more of your writings. And thank you so much, Scott, for coming on to the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember all the very valuable lessons we learned today. And I'm, I can only just list a few of the amazing lessons we learned, including that we are not trained or educated to be with ourselves in a healthy way. But fortunately, love is a choice and love is a practice. And the more we do it, the better we get at it. Centered in love, everything becomes better. And feeling love is our willingness to open ourselves to loving. We can bring more awareness to our thoughts, words, and actions because the moment we are aware of what's going on, that's the moment we can break free of the cycle. For real healing, there has to be love involved. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Scott. Thank you so much, Zach. It's great. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 